Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Inspector, the Daniel Craig arc sets us up for no time to die. And today, we dive into it with one of our agents in Canada to lead the discussion. Hi, this is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Of SpyMovieNavigator.com and our Cracking the Code of Spy Movie show. So let's get into it. All right, here's how it happened with Eddie. We got a voicemail message. We had a fan of ours, Eddie, from Canada, and he asked us if we could talk about the Daniel Craig arc, you know, how they've taken the Daniel Craig and kind of isolated him from the rest of the uh, James Bond series. It's like a, a, they did a reboot with him and wanted to kind of know if we could talk about the arc. And so we thought that was a really good idea. And so we reached out to Eddie yeah. to try to get some more information. We're like, well, why don't we start this by interviewing Eddie and getting his thoughts? Yeah. Eddie is one of our agents in Canada who is a film librarian, sometimes lecturer on movie history, once about feminism, gender, politics, and evolution of the Bond girl, hardcore James Bond fan since childhood, and unapologetic fan of Spectre. Let's get to it, Eddie. Eddie, how are you? This is Dan and Tom. Great. How are you guys? Good, good. Thanks for joining us today. So we'd love to have My your... Pleasure. Good. We'd love to have your insight into this whole Daniel Craig arc. Because it is different the way they rebooted with Casino Royale. And we're trying to look at this as a way to get people ready for the new film, No Time to Die, which we thought was a good idea of yours. And so because it is kind of almost a continuing story, we thought, hey, let's do this. And your insights seem to be pretty darn good. So we wanted to get you here. So let's let's talk about that. Give us you're welcome, absolutely. So let's get your insights and what you think is going on here with this connective tissue between these films. Connective tissue between the films, yes, that's a very good way of putting it. As you indicated, uh, the Craig years really are very much uh, a kind of a standalone series within the larger framework of uh, the Bond films. Of course, we're coming up to the 25th film, No Time to Die, which is the fifth uh, Daniel Craig movie. But these five films, these five Daniel Craig James Bond films, all stand very much apart from the 20 Bond films that precede them. Maybe the first thing to know is that, or to consider, is that all of those 20 films that precede the Craig years are really standalone films. You don't need to watch them in sequence. Mm-hmm. There are some aspects that carry over from one film to the next, but they're mostly tropes, even a few things I think it might be fair to say that have become cliches, uh, which the Craig years attempted to redress, to to look at in a new way, a new new and fresher way. Mm -hmm. But those films, those films that precede the Craig years, are all standalone movies, and you don't need to watch them uh, in a particular sequence in order to appreciate them. But what happened at the end of those 20 films the final film with Pierce Brosnan as James Bond, Die Another Day, yeah. in 2002, is that things became really quite outlandish. And this was around the time of 9-11, and the producers, I think, felt they needed to get back a little bit to reality. Now, this is something that the producers were into the second generation of producers in the Bond series, of course. But this is something that the um, the producers have done every now and then throughout the series. You know, sometimes things become a little bit too fantastical, yes. as they did back in 1967 with You Only Live Twice. And then the producers decided to kind of do a very small mini reboot because they were introducing a new actor in 1969's on Her Majesty's Secret Service with George Lazenby. And things were relatively realistic in that film. 
And then the whole thing starts again. Things, you know, start off a little bit grounded, a little bit more based in reality. And as the films progress, they become a little bit more fantastical. And then they start again. So that's what happened in 2002 with Die Another Day. A so, film that is not particularly well thought of within the Bond community, right? but just took things a little bit too far. And so the, the producers decided, uh, really, they had no reason to do this from a monetary point of view, because Die Another Day had done quite well at the box office. But they decided to go in a new direction. In essence, actually fired Pierce Brosnan, which was like, yeah. I think the first time they've ever done that in the entire history of the series with any of the six actors who've played James Bond. There was some question with Dalton, too, that yeah. perhaps maybe because the box office numbers weren't so great. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, okay. Um, and of course, they were up against a whole new set of uh, films, you know, from a competitive point of view at the box office, which Bond really didn't hadn't faced in preceding decades. I'm thinking of the Jason Bourne films, of course. And, uh, yes. The Mission Impossible movies, and they were really setting a new standard in the early 2000s for action cinema. And Bond, I think, was really attempting to catch up with Casino Royale, the film that follows Die Another Day, the first of the Craig films. Film, and it's an origin story. Mm -hmm. That's something we've never had. Yeah, it's the first uh, novel. Right. First novel uh, Fleming wrote. And uh, really, it was just that recent, recently that they got the rights to do. Yeah, right. Productions got the rights to do Casino Royale. Remember the spoof exactly. in '67 yeah. or whatever? It was, you know, the right. rights had been gone. Now they got them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Ian Fleming had sold the rights uh, independently, separately. Yes. Yeah. Way back in the 1950s, and it was actually a TV version made as early as 1954. Yeah, Barry Nelson. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yep. So what? So they were quite excited to get the rights back, and, and because it was the first novel, the first Ian Fleming James Bond novel. I think that was also a reason why the producers just decided to go in a completely new direction, hire a new actor, who, as you, as you probably remember, Will, was a very controversial choice at the time. Yes. Uh, he's not a conventionally handsome fellow in many ways, however charismatic as he, as he is as an actor. It's a little shorter than we're used to as well, I right. think. And blonder. Blonde hair. Uh, yeah, yeah. blue like, eyes. That's right. <laughs> that was also controversial. But the key thing, the key takeaway with Casino Royale is it was very much a reinvention of the Bond formula. It's very much an origin story. Very much in the manner of Christopher Nolan's Batman film of 2005. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the whole black and white uh, pre credit sequence in Casino Royale is really very much uh, heavily influenced by Christopher Nolan's 2005 Batman film, which was itself an origin story, right? And Casino Royale begins this, begins this five-film arc. Um, it's going to culminate with No Time to Die. This film's I'm had some be- issues getting out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But with uh, Casino Royale, it introduced really two things that I think are really quite key to the Craig era. One is that it provided Bond with this tragic orphan backstory that is played out through all four yes. of the Craig films that we've seen so far. Right. Uh, it is also, and I think this is the influence of uh, Bourne and Mission Impossible, it also introduced a grittier, more grounded sensibility. Yeah, more and back to the Bond, Fleming roots. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's how Fleming yeah, wrote them initially, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they also did something else that really isn't present in Fleming, at least I would argue this, and it's certainly not very present in the earlier pre-Craig Bond films, and that is that they introduced a more 
emotional, more psychologically realistic yes. James Bond. Yes. And that is very interesting, and I very much applaud them in their choice of doing that. But how successful that has been, as we've seen it progress through the four films we've seen so far, is a very interesting question and I think open to debate. And it's really crucial to the success of the fourth Craig film, Spectre, yes. and how satisfying we may or may not find. Yeah, the Spectre film, obviously, that gets a, it gets bashed a, quite a bit. And I've, I've rewatched it twice in the last week, and I love the opening pre-title sequence. I think that's fantastic, yeah. the Day of the Dead and all that. And actually, I, I thought the movie was pretty good. It got a little crazy with Christoph Waltz with the... I was your brother, you know, the the stepbrother thing and stuff, but... Well, they finally got the rights to both of them again. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But that's that's been a mixed blessing, I think. Yeah, people are, sometimes they're tired of it. They want something new, which apparently we're going to get, mostly in No Time to Die, even though Blofeld makes an appearance, but... Well, this was the thing. This was the thing with uh, Casino Royale and the introduction of these new elements, really freshening up the franchise. Everything was going to be new. Everything was going to be fresh. We were going to have a new story. Remember, as an origin story, Casino Royale doesn't even acknowledge Tracy, Tracy DiVincenzo from Unimaginable Secret Service, the character that Bond actually falls in love and and marries uh, way back in 1969's uh, Secret Service film. She is not a part of this story arc that runs through the four, now five. Yeah, which Craig always made me wonder if this, uh, this whole thing is a prequel to anything that happened before, or is it its own right, series? Continuity right, has never yeah. been the strong point of uh, Ian Productions <laughs> in terms of it, it, flow. It, it never had to be. It never had to be. That's, and it, it that's a good point. It's a bit of a challenge for them right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so instead, we have another character. We have a character as written by uh, Fleming himself in the novel, uh, mm-hmm. Casino Royale, the character of Vesper Lind, who becomes something of a psychological touchstone for the character of Bond as played by Daniel Craig in this new story arc. If you remember, at the end of Spectre, Daniel Craig, in effect, retires from yes. MI6. Uh-huh. Throws his gun, uh, throws into, his the gun river. into the river. Yeah. yeah. Says I got better right. things to do or whatever. Yeah. 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 And figuratively drives off into the sunset with uh-huh. Madeline's Swan, the daughter of the villain or one of the villains from the first yes. two Craig Bond films, yeah. um, Mr. White, right. which is, you know, is going to make for a rather problematic family history. And who knows <laughs> what, uh, you know, family get togethers are going to be like after that. <laughs> but, uh, uh, of, of course, White himself does kill himself in the third film, or if, forgive me, in the fourth film, Spectre, yes. uh, after being poisoned by Blofeld. Now, you mentioned earlier that Elon Productions, the, uh, the production team led by Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson, got the rights back to Blofeld, the, name of, the names of Blofeld and his organization, Spectre. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a whole, that's an incredibly interesting story in and of itself. I don't know if you want me to uh, to touch on that or or not, but this goes all the way back to a court case in the 1960s where Ian Fleming was sued by an early collaborator, an Irish uh, film producer named Kevin McClory, yeah. with whom he had been negotiating as early as 1958, I think it is, 58 or 59, yeah. to bring Bond to the screen for the first time. And in doing that, 
that the two of them, uh, in addition to a screenwriter named Jack Whittingham, came up with a scenario that was, in effect, the story that we know of as Thunderball. Right, yes. And Fleming used that scenario to write his novel Thunderball without crediting McClory and Whittingham, right, and was sued for doing so. So in effect, Eon Productions, then run by Albert R. Broccoli and Canadian-born Harry Saltzman, really only had the rights for 10 years to use Spectre and Blofeld and had to give it up after 1971's Diamonds Are Forever. So we have not seen Blofeld or heard of Spectre since uh, 1971 until 2015 Spectre movie. Of course, there was that little uh, pre-credit sequence in For Your Eyes Only where an unnamed character <laughs> yeah. who looked a lot like Blofeld yeah. was rather jokingly yeah. and rather dismissively, you know, uh, dropped, dropped down the a, chimney, yeah. the chimney stack, right? <laughs> and very jokingly so. And this was uh, this was this is often regarded as a kind of fu to by the producers yes. to. Uh, the guy who had, uh, you know, who had caused them so much uh, grief yeah. over the years, in a, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, of course, it made his own rebel Bond film in 1983. Was never, they never again. Right. But the thing is, the thing I want to emphasize is that the, that uh, Casino Royale and its immediate sequel, another first in the Bond in the history of Bond films. Bond films have never had a direct sequel. The film that followed up Casino Royale, 2008's Quantum of Solace, which I quite like, but which mm-hmm. isn't universally embraced by Bond fans, is very much a direct sequel and actually literally begins where Casino Royale left off. Yes, uh, Bond has exactly. captured Mr. White, right? One of the principal villains from Casino Royale. He's uh, dumped him in the, uh, the boot of his car and is taking him away, driving when he's, you know, you know, a couple of um, uh, villains um, catch up with him on the highway in, uh, mm-hmm. somewhere in Italy. Yes. And uh, Near Siena. Great car chase. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And, I've been yeah, to Siena. And beautiful great... little town. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think, and of course, Bond is going to return to uh, Italy again in, um, in Bond 25. Right. No time to die. You know, as I, as I mentioned earlier, um, Bond films have the tendency to become more fantastical as they progress, you know, with each new actor. Usually each new actor has a relatively grounded film, and then things become really quite fantastical until they begin again with so a new actor. You see this as like, like a cycle? Is this a cycle? Because yes, we exactly. interviewed a book, a book author, His World Never Dies by Dave Holcomb, and it's all about the the history of the, the changes, the cyclical nature yeah, of the changes. Yeah, he called history gyre. Yeah, the history gyre. And it's a good little book anyway. Yeah. So, uh, but it's talking about the, this exact exactly theme the, of they get overly fantastical and then they've got to reground themselves. Yeah, so, exactly what you're but saying. But that's happening, that's, that's happening now. That's happening with the Craig Bond films, right. right? Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, Skyfall, however elegantly shot uh, as a specter, they are, they are beginning to move away from that gritty reality into the more fantastical aspects. I mean, I loved, um, I loved uh, Javier Bardem's uh, Silva in Skyfall. But, oh, yeah, he was um, fantastic. Really Javier Bardem, Ooh, one of my favorite villains. <laughs> yeah, and good. things become even more fantastical with Spectre, right? And especially when they decide to do this awful thing, at least from my point of view, of retconning elements, aspects that are earlier in uh, Craig's film uh, from Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace and Skyfall by bringing them back into Spectre, Craig's fourth Bond film. 
because they really want this story arc to work. You know, they really want the psychological realism that Craig's character has uh, brought to Bond's world to to feel really quite rich, that we can feel invested in as viewers, as we might with, say, a figure from television, uh, from a you know a prestige cable show like uh, The Sopranos, for example. You know. Uh, you know, with a well-written character like Tony Soprano, something like that, you know, very psychologically rich that we can return to, not in the case of a TV show from week to week, but in the case of a film like the Craig Bond films from movie to movie. Yeah. So, Eddie, uh, what, what, what were the elements in Spectre that you're talking about now that you said kind of tie back or tie this stuff together? You were just saying that, and I was a little confused. If you'll remember, there is a secret organization behind things in the first two Craig films, mm-hmm. Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace, okay. uh, Quantum, the Quantum Organization, right? Of which Mr. White, Madeline Swan's father, is a, a key member. Yes. Okay. And then we have the third film. After four years, we have uh, the third Craig film, which is Skyfall, totally unrelated to yes. the first two films, mm-hmm. right? Everybody involved at the time said this is a standalone film. This is unrelated to the first two Craig films. The director, I believe, said that. Sam Mendes, the producer, said that. Mm-hmm. And um, thinking about it now, I don't think I can recall any elements in Skyfall that directly reference, at least in a story arc sense, what was going on in those first two Craig films. Right. Yeah, okay. I'd agree with that. Yeah, there's a connection between the first two that seems to be no connection between the second right. and the third. Well, other than the DB5. But then, like you're saying, Inspector, yeah. they kind of get the, yeah. the needle and thread yeah. out and, and sew this yeah. stuff together. Right? Yeah. 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 I, I just want to back up a moment and say, if do you remember, just at the, the time, literally at the time Inspector was released in the end of October, early November 2015, this interview with Daniel Craig was released. It had, the interview itself had been filmed just after filming had wrapped, but it was only released to the public at the time of the release of the film. And this is a now inter, uh, interview with Craig in which he said that he would, quote, rather slash my wrists, end quote, than come back and do another Bond film. Yeah. You guys yeah. remember that? Yes. Yeah, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was. And if yeah, he ever did, I, it I, would I, just I, be for the money or whatever, I think. Either. Right. Well, there's a lot of money involved. Yeah, yeah. And he said that. I couldn't believe he said that. Yeah. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, he was not coming back for a fifth Bond film. Well, and actually, I think with the way they ended Spectre, it it could have been a close-off of the character. Just like you said, riding off in the sunset. Adios. See ya. And that's why they did this retcon. Yes. In my in my my belief is that's why they they retconned all the elements yeah. from the first three films, try to tie them all together. There you go. In ultimately, what is this very artificial way, especially in the last half an hour of Spectre, because they thought he wasn't coming back, and so they wanted to round up all the loose ends that they saw, tie them up into a nice little bow, mm-hmm. and then send him off on his merry way with his only happy ending. Yeah, of the right. Series. Yeah, Remember, <laughs> very much unlike all the endings, except for one on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, all the endings of the earlier non-Craig Bond films literally, almost literally, end with Bond and uh, you know the principal, yes, romantic interest, Bond girl, 
you know, on or near some body of water yeah, right. in some uh, romantic interval. In a yellow right. raft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> on a boat, exactly. on a ship, right. whatever. Right. Yeah. But, right. But, but Craig's never had that. Craig's never had that. He's had this sad backstory That's where he felt point. this betrayal by the love of his life, uh, Vesper Lynn. Uh, who seemingly betrayed him, although that's somewhat ambiguous, yes. at the end of Casino Royale, right? Uh, in fact, there's no love interest at all in its sequel, Quantum of Solace. And there's, an, in effect, no real Bond girl at all in the third Bond film, or the third Craig Bond film, Skyfall. Mm-hmm. In fact, if there is a Bond girl, it's the uh, much older Judy Dench. Yeah, Mother actually, Lucy, yeah man, right, exactly. Is Bond, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not until the fourth film of Spectre do we have a traditional Bond girl. This is Madeline Swan, played by Le- Leia Sadu, the daughter, the yeah. character daughter of uh, Mr. White from um, from the, the first two yes. Craig Bond films, and that's whom he he drives off with, with a kind of happy ending at the end of Spectre, and that's where things that's where things leave off uh, yeah. before the new film, No Time to Die. It is, and we know yeah. a lot of the tie we ties back to Spectre, and especially to Madeline Swan. Yes. And what happened in her childhood. Because if you may recall, there are a couple of hints of this, Inspector. And I do give the writers and director Sam Mendes credit for this because it, it's done somewhat subtly. And I think this is going to be a definite callback near the beginning of the new film. You may recall, Inspector, there are a couple of instances when Madeline Swan recounts this story as a young girl when these apparent killers had come to her home yes. to kill her father, right? right? Uh, I, forgive me, I don't remember the dialogue exactly of No Time to Die. I think it's going to be a flashback, some kind of callback ah, um, right. to that, that Madeline Swan story uh, from Spectre. A flashback, something we, I don't think we've ever seen before in Bond history. No. Well, we've seen it before in the title sequence of Honor Majesty's Secret Service where they show images from the previous Bond movies to make sure that the audience knows that this is the same Bond, even though we've made that transition to George Lazenby from Connery. So, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. The, and the beginning of Casino Royale, really, that pre-title in Casino Royale, black and white, actually is just flashback. Yeah, right, the black and white. Oh, part okay, is, okay. Yeah, right, 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 right. But other than yeah. that, yeah, you're right. Yeah. We don't really see oh, it yeah, as a main right. element yeah. in the film. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but... Generally, generally, they're, they're, they've been a strictly a, a kind of a very linear from point A to point B to point C kind of narrative structure. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, you're no, you're absolutely right about the the pre credits of Casino Royale. Yeah. Ah. And when you read the Fleming stuff, really, it's more like Craig's character. Really, yeah. he loses women he, I, I, all the time. He doesn't always get the girl in the in the in the Fleming novels, you know. And so I, Craig. You know, pretty true to some of the Fleming stuff. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he is a, yeah. he is a dismal dark character. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't. He, yeah. Yeah. That, that's something that the, the films really changed. Uh, yeah. I, I, I would take a little bit of it. I think I would disagree with you a little bit regarding Fleming. Okay. I think, the, I think the Bond character in Fleming was always something, a little bit of a cipher. He, there was always, there wasn't a lot of backstory to Bond. Mm-hmm. Either, either in Fleming or in um, the pre-Craig Bond years, and that's something very new about Craig, the Craig years, they've given us that backstory. Some might say they've, they've really, really pushed it, uh, maybe to some extent to the detriment of the film. We've learned 
so much about Bond's backstory in the Craig years, and this has very much been a conscious choice, especially of uh, of uh, Sam Mendes, who I think was given carte blanche on Spectre after the billion dollar success of Skyfall. Yeah, right, we yeah, learn about yeah, Bond's that kind of helps. <laughs> and, yeah. In fact, Skyfall is named after the family home, right? Yeah, right? right, which is where Bond and M retreat to in the face of yes. the villainous Silva at the end of uh, Skyfall. You know, we see the gravestone. Uh, for Bond's parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much backstory, far more backstory in the Craig Bond years than even in Fleming himself, uh, let alone the uh, subsequent uh, films up to the Craig years. Yeah. So what's I, going on in Spectre is that, and I think this is kind of a, a consequence of our current obsession with serialized television and you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's really no longer sufficient for a movie to have just a plot. You know, we now really need it to have a you know a, a story arc. You know, or even better, uh, as in Marvel, you know, multiple story arcs. Mm-hmm. You know, both within and spanning sequential films, and you know, even interrelated series. Which is why I think we see a heavy emphasis on secondary characters in Bond films. This is also something that's very new. We did not have this in the past. Usually when we met Monty Penny, it was very briefly, mm-hmm. um, you know, and secretary. It was always in the office. There yes. was some flirtatious behavior between Bond and Money Penny. But now all of a sudden we have her out in the field. She's doing this. She's doing that. She's a much more important figure. The same is true for uh, Ralph Fine's uh, figure of M. Before him, Judy Dench's, uh, forgive me, Ralph Fine's isn't M. He's his own, his own character. We saw a little bit of that in the Brosnan years with Judy Dench, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, not as much as now. But the figure of Q is very much out there in the field. We didn't see that nearly as much as we had seen in the past. So we have all of this new emphasis on secondary characters, you know, Bond helpers, what's sometimes dismissively regarded in the Bond fan and uh, Bond fandom as the Scooby Gang. And I, th- I think that's definitely going to continue. Well, with, how, how uh, much, how, how much influence do you no. think? Mission Impossible has on that because I mean that's the way in Mission Impossible yeah. it's all that whole yeah. the Scooby Gang that's kind true. of thing. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. They always have a team. The other way I would look at this too is you've had Purvis and Wade involved in all of these films now for them. the last you know it'll be seven films in a row. So when you've got the same writers, I think you can get some of that story and kind of keep it going in terms of some of these other characters. Purvis and Wade. They get a lot of stick in uh, the Bond fan community, and they're they're blamed for a lot of things, rather fairly or unfairly. But they are somewhat anonymous as writers. They're kind of journeymen, and this is something also new to the Bond series. With the Craig years, the producers, and I really credit them with this, they've hired A-listed actors for even secondary roles. They've hired A-listed cinematographers to shoot the films, and we've had the best-looking Bond films in the history of the series. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Roger Deakins should have won an Oscar for Skyfall. No Absolute, question. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Some people have uh, problems with the color grade of, of Spectre, but I, I think it lo- looks gorgeous. I think it's beautifully evocative, very mysterious elegant we never had this really in the past a very kind of artsy kind of cinematography and i really credit the producers in going with that direction and we had very we had a lot of stage actors introduced to the series as well so they really went for a-listers in the past 
it was much more a family-oriented affair. The directors were often journeyman directors. Um, think of John Glenn, who directed all five of the 1980s Bond films and really didn't do much before or after in terms of directing films. He was kind of the house director, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Entirely. So he was not there, you know, as a filmmaker with artistic pretensions or ambitions in order to invest something of himself in the films. This has also changed with the Craig years. We now have these auteurist directors, these directors who feel a kind of personal you know, investment in the making of the films. And this is what Sam Mendes, I'm sure, brought to Skyfall Inspector with mixed results, arguably. And I think what Kerry Fukunaga is going to bring to uh, No Time to Die. Very much a sense of personal investment that he's crafting the story in new and hopefully innovative ways. In the past, we really didn't have this. It was always a producer-driven medium. Here's the script. We don't want any, and, you know, too much innovation. Mm-hmm. Bond does this, Bond does that. That's good uh, Purvis and Wade, they, they know what's what. They're going to write things because they know the history. They're not going to stray too far. We feel safe in their hands. But with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, with uh, Kerry Fukunaga, mm-hmm. and with Billie Eilish, and so far, Billie Eilish is the only really new innovative aspect in with uh, No Time to Die whose contribution we've we've seen or in her case heard and to my ears uh, quite successfully mm-hmm. um, once so you can far, understand her uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah her first of, yeah <laughs> yeah I, I think it's really fantastic and it's a very haunting it is a very haunting quality which fits in beautifully with the Craig Bond story arc yes because of course Bond is very much a solitary figure Craig continues that tradition he is a solitary uh, figure who really has this, you know, problematic history and holding on to relationships with women. But uh, in the past, he was always the character who more or less single-handedly saved the world, you know, figuratively, both figuratively and literally. But um, uh, certainly Inspector, he has a lot of help, right, with Q yes, uh, and with M, actually, um, yes. physically fighting one of the villains, Inspector, and sending him to his death. Yeah. I mean, that never would have happened in the Bernard Lee years. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's very much uh, an interesting aspect. So uh, as I said, um, I'm sure the producers thought that this was the fourth film, Spectre, was going to be Craig's last Bond film. So they, wa- so they wanted to tie up all of these loose elements. They also found themselves with the rights to using the word Spectre, the organization Spectre, uh, and the word, you know, the name of the character of Wolfie Young Spectre for the first time since 1971. And I think they got so giddy with this excitement that it went, it went a little bit to their, their heads, unfortunately. Because in the previous uh, couple of, in the, the two earlier films, uh, Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale, they went out of their way to invent a new kind of sub- Spectre substitute named Quantum. But what they decided to do in Spectre was to feed us this new information and in fact that there was this other super criminal organization even greater than Quantum and its name is Spectre, right? right. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, yeah, and yeah. then they, so try, they try to tie that together with the octopus ring. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I thought that was right. a fail <laughs> myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, everybody seems to agree on that. Yeah, when it, you know, they reveal that Spectre was secretly behind all the evil plots that yes. had taken place in the earlier Craig films, right. or as Christoph Waltz's character of Blofeld literally explains to Bond, 
late in the movie, yes. it's always been me, James. <laughs> it's always been me, yeah. the author of all your pain. Yeah, I love that line. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's it, a great it, line. It is a great line. But they should have left it at that. Yeah. They should have left it at that. Yeah. Because they, we also learn that Blofeld is Bond's foster brother. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Whoa. And the whole jealousy Where did thing. That come and, from? Yeah. Yeah. I, that was a little much. The whole jealousy thing and why he's been Bond's pain. All this time, yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. My father yeah. liked you more than me. It's like, ah, come on, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, they're trying to see that that new psychological realism, right? Yeah, that comes out of Nolan's Batman, for example, uh-huh. and um, you know, or, or serialized television, uh, as an example. That that's what they're trying to feed with with that sort of thing. And if you remember, at the time, uh, Sam Mendes said that that Blofeld was going to have his own creation myth. Those are the words he used with Spectre, that, and that it wasn't going to relate very much to the uh, the Blofeld and the Spectre of the past. Mm-hmm. And of course, that would have been great if he had actually done that, right? Just as the early Craig films had really reinvented the formula with something fresh, mm-hmm. if Mendes had reinvented the the uh, the, the Blofeld, uh, if he if they really felt they needed to introduce this older character from outside of the Craig Bond arc, which Blofeld was, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Then they should have done something completely radical and really changed it up with him. But they just did just the opposite. It's almost as if they brought in the Blofeld, the, the Blofeld ersatz uh, figure from the Austin Powers movies. And, <laughs> you know, because that's almost literally what they did because they used all of the visual trappings of the Blofeld that we know from the 1960s, you know, the Nehru suit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the cat, uh-huh. you know, they, they used all of these visual signifiers as if we were in the audience just waiting to see them again after all of these years. But it, it just didn't carry very much weight. It all seemed very much forced. Uh, they were just trying to wrap up all of these elements with Craig, thinking that this was going to be his last film, send him out on his, uh, you know, on a kind of quasi-happy uh, ending. Um, and it's uh, an open question as to how far that worked. Uh, and of course, as we know, Blofeld is going to be back. As we know from the trailer, yes. Blofeld is going to be back. Certainly making in an the appearance. Craig film. Yes, right. Yeah, do you think they'll get away end, with uh, away from Spectre? Because obviously, in the new film, No Time to Die, they're talking about some kind of organization more powerful and better than Spectre. Right, right, exactly. But of course, at the end of Spectre, Bond did this in really well. In, instead of shooting the villain, he actually dumps his bullets into uh, the River Thames and throws his gun away. Yeah, and, sa- and says after Blofeld you know, basically asks him to shoot him, go on, finish it, I think he says. Yeah. Uh, Bond, how does Bond respond? You know, uh, 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 more or less, I can't, uh, you know. Yeah, I've got something bullet. better to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and he walks, walks away. off with Swan. Walks, yeah. <laughs> it walks, literally walks off with Swan. So it, what, uh, what we know is that uh, Blofeld is in prison, has been imprisoned, and that, we, that uh, Bond will confront him in prison much as he did with Silva. In, yeah, it definitely reminds you uh, of that. Earlier in Skyfall, mm-hmm. he's going to confront Blofeld in prison in uh, the new film. 
if you might allow me to go here, uh, one thing I'd like to to mention, and something that is a bit of a bit problematic with the Craig story arc, is that in the first two Craig films, he's very much a young man. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, he's very, almost a, a rookie agent in effect yeah. in the first film. Right. Getting his right. double O um, status. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But by the third film, he's an old man. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> in Skyfall. Remember yeah. the, the we all age at different speeds. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Right. Yeah. And and now he's really an old man. You know, you know, he's, he's, he's younger. Gotten, he's younger he, than he, us, Dan. He, he, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was in effect already in retirement in Skyfall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. You know? And so there's there's almost this no middle ground in the Craig Bond story arc between uh, young and old. Yeah. That's yeah, it'll, just be, it'll be it's interesting like, to see what they do, how they do it. But you know but, what? They our willing suspension of disbelief will be fine, and we'll take whatever they give us in the next, <laughs> the next film. <laughs> yeah, uh, self reflection, something that Craig does so well, is yeah. something that's entirely new to um, to the Bond universe. Yeah, it's often been pointed out that this is going to be the first Bond film, you know, after the Me Too movement, right. and with um, the character of Bond's problematic history with female characters in the past, how is this film going to address that? The producers have told us, Barbara Bockley has said on the record that, you know, he can be any race, he can be of any background, but he absolutely has to be a man. Yeah. And I, I think most fans would agree with that. And I think she said something about having a British background, too. Yeah, and or, I think or, it's also crucial that he has a British background. Yeah. Although exactly. Fleming, because yeah. he liked Sean Connery so much when he wrote yes. his last couple of things, he, he gave him a yeah. Scottish background. The quintessential English gentleman in many ways, James Bond, in effect, really has doesn't have an English background. He's right. he's of a Swiss Scottish yes. background. He's not English at all. Yeah, which is why he retreats to Skyfall. <laughs> and you know, so yeah. yeah, so that was Fleming's yeah. nod to uh, Sean Connery, which he he we didn't like in the in, in the first Doctor No when he was filming. He's like, ah, oh, this is not the guy. And then he he loved him, and from Russia with Love, he thought, oh, yeah, this is the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. actually, when you're talking about the woman, the treatment of women, there was a uh, article in May of 2019 where Phoebe Waller-Bridge made this comment. She says, "It has just got to grow, just has to evolve. And the important thing is that the film treats the women properly. He doesn't have to. He needs to be true to his character." Yeah, that's good. That's brilliant. So, that's a yeah. good line. Yes, so, absolutely. So I, th- I think you're 100%. you're, you're going to see him be still try to be. The retired womanizer and uh, yes. the yeah. strong woman characters around him then. I hope so. Yeah. That's the yeah. story. That's yeah. Let me. Okay. In 2015, with uh, the most recent Bond film, with um, James Bond, in effect, heading off into retirement with his new love, Madeline Swan, the daughter of the villain, uh, Mr. White. And where this new film, No Time to Die, begins is five years later with Bond already in retirement. He appears to be alone, uh, so we're not sure how things develop with Madeline Swan. You may remember that in Spectre, we came across an interrogation tape. Right. Um, when Swan and Bond visit L'Americain, which we learn is a uh, hotel. It, was it in Marrakesh? I, I forget. It was in Morocco. In, Somewhere in, in North in Africa. Mor- in Morocco? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Morocco. Algeria, I think um, they they discover this secret room, and in the secret room is an interrogation tape that turns out to be an interrogation of Vesper Lynn. There's already so much psychological motivation for the character. However, it is pretty clear that uh, Madeline Swan does have a secret. 
a secret that is weighing very heavily on Bond, the character himself, and has been hinted by Blofeld in the scene that mm-hmm. we see in the trailer between Blofeld and Bond. She has a secret, something that will be, I think he says, the death of you. Right. Yep. Right? Yeah. Yeah. When her and what that revealed. secret is yeah. has a lot to do with what that figure that we see in the parka with the, uh, the Japanese ceremonial mask on the mm-hmm. ice. I think that secret that Madeline has has a lot to do with that figure on the ice yeah. that we yeah. see, also see in the trailer. All right. Well, I'm cool. looking forward to it. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Eddie, for joining okay. us. This has been a pleasure. A lot of great insight you have there, and we appreciate it. Well, and I also appreciate the fact that you left us that voicemail that kind of gave us the idea of doing this, and then your willingness to come on and talk yeah. through this from your perspective has been fantastic. Yeah. So thank you very much, Eddie. Yeah, thanks, Eddie. Thanks a lot, guys. It's been a great pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been fantastic. Absolutely. Well, that was fun. It really was. Eddie really has a good background on this stuff. He does. It was great. No Time to Die will be a landmark Bond movie as Daniel Craig's fifth and final Bond outing. Finally going to get a chance to see this thing. Yeah. Follow (laughs) us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Please help us out and give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast app. You can do it now. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it.